Scripture reading this morning is from uh, Ephesians 3, chapters, or verses 14 through 21. The prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your most inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And Jason Meadows is going to dazzle us with his wit and stories. Nope. 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 I tried. I have no wit and I have no stories. And I can assure you there will be no dazzling today. This is a dazzle-free zone. Well, good morning. Are you glad to be here? Good. I am too. I am too. I uh, started out this morning, uh, maybe not in uh, the most put-together way. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time this morning yelling at children. Uh, I was disappointed in their ability to dress themselves. Uh, we had some belt issues with a couple of them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't fit or they were off crooked to the side or the wrong color. Um, I had a son that I uh, fussed at for his uh, inability to carry a towel with him to come for uh, some tubing this afternoon. So I didn't do a really good job uh, this morning of parenting. Um, and so we had some prayer time back here in the back before we came out. And, and so I prayed, God, it, it looks like a lot of people have their act together. And I'm not one of them. <laughs> and so I, I pray that you would just let me uh, move those things aside. Um, and let me just share a little bit uh, today from, from your word. And uh, hopefully we can all leave here changed people. Amen. Amen. Good. Um, we have been for a little bit of time now. Uh, Pastor Dave uh, has been leading us through uh, the book of Ephesians. And uh, I like to, just personally, I really enjoy having a little bit of kind of background story, really for anything, um, to know if we're looking just at a snapshot in time, how did we get to where we are? What led up to, to this point? Um, and so if you'll indulge me for just a moment, uh, I'll kind of review a few things about just Ephesians in general and kind of how we've come through Ephesians so far uh, to where we are now in Ephesians 3, uh, and then we'll kind of dig into the scripture and see maybe what we can learn today. Um, so Ephesians uh, was written by, anybody know? Paul, yeah. The Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians. Um, if you're not familiar with Paul, um, his story uh, is he was actually really, 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 really bad <laughs> early on in life. Uh, he hated uh, anyone that had anything to do with Jesus, and he made it his business uh, to really give them a hard time. He wanted to lock them all up. He wanted them all dead. Uh, he did not care for Christians at all. Um, but if, uh, if, you wanna, if you're 
taking notes today, if you want to jot down Acts chapter 9, if you want to look at Acts chapter 9, that gives us the story of, he went by Saul at the time, but Saul, who later became Paul, uh, his transformation on the road to Damascus. He was headed to Damascus, bright light, basically knocked him to the ground, and Jesus said, hey, why are you doing this? And uh, uh, Saul couldn't see. Um, later on, he went actually into town and got his sight back, and he said, you know what, I think I'm going to I'm going to do this Jesus thing. I think this is going to be a, a better option for me in life. So that's kind of the story of, of Paul, uh, or Saul, who later became Paul. He actually wrote many of the books in the New Testament, and one of those is Ephesians. So it was written to a group of people that were in a church in, you know that one? Ephesus. Yeah, so the Ephesians were the people who lived in Ephesus. Um, and so Paul wrote them a letter. He wrote a lot of letters to a lot of churches, um, because that's what, that's what Saul, later Paul, did. He, he went, uh, he was a missionary, one of the first missionaries. Uh, he established a bunch of churches all throughout the regions, uh, and then he would send them letters. Um, some of them were encouraging letters, yeah, you're doing a good job. Some of them were letters going, you're really terrible at this, uh, and you need to, to try some things differently. Um, but what's beautiful about the book of Ephesians, it was written to specific people in a specific point in time, right? But since this is God's living word, it's applicable to us here today. So we are not Ephesians. We do not live in Ephesus. Uh, we are not the early church. But yet the things that are here are very, very much applicable to us here today, uh, just as they were to them all those years ago. So uh, briefly, quick snapshot of uh, Ephesians so far. Um, Pastor Dave has kind of led us through the first couple of chapters and the first part of chapter 3. Um, in Ephesians 1, we looked at the basis of our salvation. Uh, later, we looked at some spiritual realities that we could pull out of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I uh, got some great theology in there. Uh, for by grace have you been saved, through faith. Um, big, big uh, push there in Ephesians chapter 2, talking about grace, talking about our salvation, where that comes from, how that works. Um, talks about Jews and Gentiles now being one body, right? We all fall under the same umbrella of Christ followers because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And then we've moved through the first part so far of Ephesians chapter 3. And so we're picking up now with the latter half, the last portion of Ephesians chapter 3, which is a prayer uh, that is written. And we want to look at that prayer together today. So that's a little background, kind of that's sort of our backstory. That's how, what brings us to where we are now. So let's look at maybe uh, what we can learn uh, from the passage today. Uh, looking at the last part, and uh, Brandon read it and did a wonderful job. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for reading slowly. I think sometimes people speed through, and we don't let those things sink in. So thank you uh, for doing that this morning. Uh, verses 14 through 21. The message uh, we're going to call Pray Like Paul. Um, and let's explore together maybe how we might do that today. What do you call that play in football? Often you'll see it at the end of the half or maybe right at the end of the game, the team with the ball is behind. They're probably 60 yards from the end zone. Only a few seconds left. The quarterback gets the ball. All the receivers run way down the field, and the quarterback just heaves it as far as he can. What do you call that play? Hail Mary. Yeah, it's called a Hail Mary. Um, if you're curious about where that originated from, uh, you can look at the Internet, and it will tell you uh, that that play, the Hail Mary, um, it actually was um, a team at Notre Dame, Back in the 1930s, uh, the team at Notre Dame um, used to have any sort of play that had a low probability of success. Uh, the Catholic school there, they called that the Hail Mary play. 
Later on in the 70s, it was the Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings that were playing. And uh, the Cowboys actually won uh, at the end of the game with a long pass. Um, and, and when they interviewed the quarterback, they said, well, how did you do that? He said, well, I just closed my eyes and I said, Hail Mary, right? When, when the chances are small, uh, when, when uh, we have nothing else to do, we just heave it deep and we pray. I feel like a lot of believers actually treat prayer that way. I feel like sometimes it's something that we do when there's no other option. I mean, we may have some routine prayers. God, please bless this food, right? Or in my house, God, please don't let me strangle my children today, right? Some routine prayers that we pray on a regular basis. Um, But when it comes to real, honest-to-goodness prayer, I might suggest that we oftentimes fall short. So what I'd like to do today is look at Paul's example and see how we might do better. So if you're taking notes, you've got a few blanks there and you've got a little pen in your hand, and if you're ready to write down the first response, first of all, we need to pray with humility. If we look at the text, verse 14, Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Some translations may say, I bow my knees before the Father. I get on my knees before God. Kneeling was not super common for Jews. It it still isn't today. If you think about the Wailing Wall, and you can picture lots of Jews, very, very uh, spiritual site, spiritual location for them, lots of prayer happening there, but what do they do? They stand, right? So kneeling, not very common. So whenever we do see someone in the Bible who is kneeling in prayer, they are indicating deep, deep humility and deep emotion before God. Now, I don't want to suggest that kneeling is the only option or the only acceptable posture for prayer. That's certainly not correct. We can pray while we're standing. We can pray while we're walking. We can pray while we're sitting down. We can pray while we're running. We can pray while we're driving a car, right? All these different ways that we can pray. Um, But uh, the, the heart of the idea is kneeling is an humble posture. And there's actually three different kinds of humility that I want to briefly highlight before we move on. First is humble gratitude. That's your second blank there. Humble gratitude. So in verse 14, Paul starts and he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. He says, For this reason. Well, for for what reason? If we go back to the beginning of chapter 3, he also says, the very first verse, right at the gate, he says, For this reason I, Paul. And then he follows a little bit of a rabbit trail about his calling, but we have to ask ourselves, he's talking about for this reason. Well, what preceded chapter 3. What, what's he talking about? He says, for this reason. Well, well, what came before? Remember kind of the backstory that we'd like to look at? Well, we just had two chapters that were slam full of God's amazing grace. When prompted, or what prompted this prayer was Paul's gratitude for that grace of God. Paul was stunned at God's grace in saving sinners. Remember, Paul said that he was the chief of sinners, He said, look, I was the worst one, and I have been given grace, and I have been redeemed. I feel like he was overwhelmed by that. And if we reflect for just a moment on God's grace, he calls us, he adopts us, he redeems us, he forgives us through Christ, he seals us with the Spirit. God takes the initiative, and he brings us from death 
to life. He raises us in Christ. He seats us with Christ. He makes us joint heirs with Christ. He invites us to be part of his church. He invites us to help spread his kingdom here on earth. Folks, how can we not be overwhelmed with gratitude? We deserve none of that. Overwhelmed with gratitude. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Have you ever seen um, one of the stories online? Uh, they make a little video of it. You know, sometimes there'll be a basketball team, and there'll be one member of the team who isn't very good. That one member of the team often has maybe some developmental delays or some, um, some uh, difficulties with, uh, with learning, uh, things like that, uh, some sort of uh, disability of some sort. Uh, but they dress out with the team, and they participate with the team, but they don't actually play in the game, right? They, they just they sit on the bench, and they cheer, and they have the uniform on. But every once in a while, and they're super inspiring stories, every once in a while, the coach will say, you, get in the game, right? And so that little individual will come into the game, still not very good, but maybe he gets a shot, maybe he gets to take it, maybe he hits a shot, and everybody just goes wild, right? Everybody just goes nuts. And that student loves and adores his coach. Why? Is it because the student is really, really good? He gets to exercise his talents on the court? No, it's not because of who the student is. It's because of who the coach is. The coach lets the player play because the coach is good. And the coach is kind. And the coach is loving. Now, our relationship with God is certainly infinitely more important than a relationship between a student and a coach. But maybe that basic example shines a little light on our relationship with God. He made us part of his team. Why? Because we're good? And because we have skills and talents? No. Because he is good. So we should exhibit humble gratitude. A second kind of uh, um, humble uh, prayer should be humble desperation. Humble desperation. Kneeling also exhibits the feeling of desperation. We come to realize that we're approaching the only one who can act on our behalf. See, Paul is not just a cold theologian. He's just writing sophisticated arguments for the philosophers to consider, although he was good at that. He's a deeply, deeply passionate leader. If you want to jot down Acts chapter 20, later today, tomorrow, sometime this week, go read in Acts chapter 20, and it documents uh, Paul's interaction with the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul was getting ready to leave. Uh, he had called up leaders in that church. He had established that church and, and got them kind of going. And he was prepared then to depart. And you'll read that he hits his knees and he prays in desperation with those church leaders. He feels desperate because he's preparing to leave and he knows that he's never going to see them again. The early church depended very, very heavily on prayer. But might I suggest today that what was essential for the early church has become supplemental for the modern church. Why? I think oftentimes we don't realize that we're desperate. We forget that we're desperate. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that, but perhaps it's because of where we live. Perhaps it's because that's kind of the American way. I mean, what is the American way? What are the American dreams, right? You, you work hard. You depend on yourself. You achieve greatness. 
You support yourself. You use what you have to do your best thing, right? So it, it almost becomes then that God becomes for the weak and not for the strong. But when we come to God in prayer, we need to remember how great God is and how much we need him. We need to remember that desperation. Remember Jesus. What did he say? He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Yeah. He said, if you abide in me, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So what did Jesus say? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not you can do some stuff. Not you can do a lot of stuff. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so that, uh, that, that desperation, I think we just, we just forget. We forget that we're desperate and we need to pray with humble desperation. Lastly, we need to pray with humble confidence. Confidence, humble confidence. Not arrogance, not arrogance, not the idea that we know that we deserve God's blessings and God's favor, but with humble confidence. How and why? Well, just briefly let me uh, introduce why I think uh, this fits and makes sense. Number one, Paul tells us in verse 12, if we back up just a little bit, Paul is talking about Jesus and he says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can approach with confidence. Confidence, excuse me. Is God sovereign? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. God is sovereign. Uh, look in, in verse 15. This, uh, the first couple of times through, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense until I, I dug into it a little bit more. Uh, in verse 15, actually we'll start in 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now some of that is translated maybe a little bit differently in, in, in your uh, your version you have, his whole family, um, could be uh, uh, his whole fatherhood sometimes. Um, but the idea, uh, if it's translated literally, his whole family translated literally is every family. The idea or the expression is that God has authority and he rules over everybody. Every family on earth, every family in heaven, every family everywhere. That's the idea that's being presented there. So we know that God is sovereign. Number two, we know that God is rich. Let's keep reading just a little bit in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. Out of his glorious riches. So we know that God is sovereign. We know that God is rich. And then lastly, we know that God is gracious. Jesus talked about that too. Remember, he was talking and he said, hey, even you give good gifts to your children. I mean, who has a kid that asks for a, what, asks for a fish and you're going to give him a snake? Right? Or who has a kid that asks for an egg and you're going to give him a scorpion? That's ludicrous. That's ridiculous. Well, how much more is your Father in heaven going to give you the things that you need? So we know that God is sovereign and we know he's rich and we know he's gracious. So if he is those things, we should approach him with humble confidence. So digging further into praying like Paul, we need to pray that God will fill us with power that's your next blank. And love. That's your next one. Power and love. As we continue through this passage, just listen to the amount of times that Paul references power and love. Starting at 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power 
together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Power and love and power and love, power and love. So when it's all said and done, Paul is essentially praying that others would experience the very things that he talked about in chapters 1 and 2. Christ's supreme power and God's redeeming love, his great love towards sinners. So if we look in verse 16, this is what Paul believed the church in Ephesus needed. And by extension, today, this is what we need. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. That's where we need strength and that's where we need power is on the inside. What does our culture look at? The outside. What does God look at? The inside. Turn on any television, watch any, any show, and when the commercials come on, what do they want to sell you? Things that will make your hair look good. Things that will remove wrinkles. Things that will make you look really sharp when you're dressed. Great cars that you can drive so people think, wow, that person looks fantastic, right? It's all focused on the outside. That's what our culture sees. That's what our culture uh, pursues. Us, our relationship with God, we need that strength and power on the inside. Why do we need that strength and power on the inside? Why do we need that in our inner being? Well, let's continue. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's an interesting choice, that word dwell. Um, Paul could have used a word that means inhabit, but he used a word that means settle down. He used a word that's more permanent. This is not an idea of a a temporary tenant. This is a permanent resident. Christ dwells in our heart. When Jesus sets up shop in our hearts, when he moves in, a good way to think about that or a good illustration for that is like a young couple who purchases an old home that needs a lot of work. Perhaps some of you today had that experience in your life. Perhaps you purchased a home and it had really dirty, old shag carpet. And maybe it had a leak in the roof. And maybe it had that hideous wallpaper. And maybe there was a crack in the foundation. And maybe the front porch kind of leaned to one side, right? But if you live there for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 or 40 years, you do some sprucing up, don't you? You clean it. You fix, you repair, you remodel. What a great illustration that if you've been there for an extended period of time, if someone comes to visit you and they see your home, they can see that your home reflects you. It reflects your personality and it reflects your needs. This is the same illustration, the same idea that Paul is presenting here. When Christ moves into our hearts, he comes in and he settles He sets up shop there. He takes the things that are broken and he fixes them. And he remodels. And he gets rid of that really old nasty wallpaper. And he paints over it and makes it bright and pretty and clean and new. And so that's a beautiful illustration or a beautiful idea about the idea of Christ dwelling in our hearts. 
So moving through verses 17 and on into the first part of 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is what else Paul prays for. He prays that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's praying that the church in Ephesus would have enough power to try to comprehend the greatness and the fullness of the love of Christ. Now, obviously, the Ephesians, they knew of Christ's love, right? They've already bought into this whole Jesus thing. They've bought into this, hey, relationship with God and sacrifice, taking the place of us for our sins. And they've, they bought into all of that. They get it. But he's asking them to have more power and grasp it a little bit more. It's one of those things that, talking about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, you can describe it all day, but until you see it, until you experience it, you just don't get it. And the only example I can think of is uh, something like the Grand Canyon. I don't know who's been to see the Grand Canyon, but you've probably read descriptions of the Grand Canyon. You've even seen photographs of the Grand Canyon, and you're like, ooh, that's really big. I get it. Mm -hmm. I see But it's totally different when you get there. When you experience it and you're standing on the rim and you're looking out, oh, (laughs) this is big, (laughs) right? I get it. Well, Christ's love is very similar in that way. We can talk about how long and wide and high and deep it is, and we can try to put into words. There's a hymn that I think does a pretty good job of describing it. It goes like this. It says, could we the ink... Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every, oh, guess what? When I printed it off, I missed that next line. Who knows what that next line? And every man a scribe, it's really good, somebody, and every man a scribe by trade, my mother-in-law coming through to help me out again. So let's start again, because I think it is very powerful. Let's start again, and when I get to the part that I miss, you just chime in and we'll, we'll hit it, because I got all off cadence now, and it's not good. So we're trying to describe the love of Christ, and it goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It's a good try. We can read it and we go, oh yeah, that's really big. But until we experience it for ourselves, it doesn't quite, quite, quite ring true. So lastly, and I know we're running out of time here, so... We'll uh, move forward. Lastly, we need to pray with great expectations. Great expectations. Look at the descriptions of how God is able. If we look in verse 20, I can just see Paul writing this under inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's writing it and he says, "Mm." Now to him who is able... The Holy Spirit, like, ah, let's add a little more. Okay, for him who is able to do more 
No, no, we need a little bit more than that, Paul. Okay, for him who is able to do immeasurably more. Okay, we're, we're getting there. Keep going, Paul. What else you got? Well, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're still not quite done. <laughs> we need a little bit more. So Paul says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, that's it. He can do not only more, he can do immeasurably more. And not only more than we can just ask, he can do more than we can ask or even imagine. More than we can even fathom. So we know that God is able. This is the God who created and sustains the entire universe. This is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. This is the God who is perfectly capable of all that we could ever ask and more than we could ever imagine. And this is the God with whom we have a personal relationship. We need to pray with great, great, great expectations. Why? Because God is able. So let's pray with humility. Let's pray for power. Let's pray for love. And let's pray with great, great expectations. Um, I'm going to pray for our offering, and then I want to mention just a little bit about what we're going to sing, uh, and then we'll go for there. So let's pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you. We worship you. God, we give you the honor. We give you the glory. You truly are a great God. You are the one true living God. And it's only because of you and the sacrifice of Jesus that we're here today. And God, we thank you for bringing us from death into life. We thank you for new life in Jesus. We thank you for making us who we are. God, we pray for the offering that uh, will be accepted, the tithes that will be given. God, it's just a small, small way that we can show our love and our appreciation. God, a way that we can give back, that we can uh, uh, give to you. God, we pray that uh, you would take the money that's given, that you would bless it, that you would stretch it, that you would use it for the furthering of your kingdom. And pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to close with a hymn. And this hymn was written by Charles Wesley. And if you know anything about the Methodist Church, uh, Charles and uh, his brother John, they played a pretty big role <laughs> in the Methodist Church as a whole. Um, and it speaks to some of the ideas that Paul wrote about in Ephesians. And I think if you're like me, a lot of times when a hymn's being sung, you just kind of go along with the tune, and you don't really let it sink in what it is that we're singing. So I wanted to highlight that very quickly uh, before we actually sing it. Uh, the first verse goes like this. It says, Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. Oh, didn't we just talk about that? Fix in us thy humble dwelling. Dwell in our hearts dwell in our innermost beings come in and set up shop in our hearts live there all thy faithful mercies crown jesus thou art all compassion pure unbounded love thou art have you ever tried to describe how long and how wide 
and how high and how deep unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. So let's sing that together. We'll have our offering at this time. Let's leave here differently from when we came in. God, we love you. God, we're so, so thankful for who you are. And God, you are good. God, set up shop in our hearts. Come in, dwell with us. Help us to grasp, help us to experience just how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. Be with us as we go our separate ways. God, bring us back again next week. In your name we pray, amen.